Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always, with Managing Editor and good mate Richard Hill. Howdy, Richard. Hey, Matt. Fantastic. Here we are. Look, uh, here we, the, the, I'm very excited today and a little bit nervous because um, because we're actually promoting a brand new book by somebody uh, we, we know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are, we, we're going to have a chat to good mate Dr. John Arden, uh, who wrote the forward to our book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. And, you know, John has set up the book beautifully with his with his forward, and uh, it's just a delight to talk to John um, about that. And it is, and and of course, the book now after two years is uh, in the bookshops. Early March in America, late March in Australia, uh, mid March I think in in the UK. And uh, what's terrific is there's a whole bunch of discounts people are offering. Uh, Norton's offering a discount for Americans. Uh, Australians can get discounts uh, on Amazon. Um, otherwise, the book depository uh, uh, and for other places in the world offering discounts. So I hope we still get some royalties. <laughs> but we, we really just want people to read this book and uh, and we've been so blessed to have John not just write a, a, a simple little forward he's actually written a chapter for the book yeah. and uh, we better go talk to him over in Santa Fe. Dr John Arden welcome back to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast it's so great to see you. Oh great to see both of you again. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, it's, it's really great of you to, to not only sort of be prepared to come on, but actually kind of uh, keen and eager and prompting us to, to get on because, of course, this time it's a little bit not just about uh, uh, other people, it's kind of a little bit about uh, Matt and me as well because we, we've, exactly. we've done a little book that I think you know about. It's a fantastic <laughs> book and that's why I'm very, very honoured to, to promote it with you. Fantastic. Now, you've written the forward to our book, which really sets the book up beautifully. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, we're going to be featuring in the magazine as well. So if everyone is interested in uh, getting the details then check out the March issue of the Science of Psychotherapy. But John, I was wondering if we could just start off by um, just sort of maybe a bit of a, a recap of what the forward is all about. Well, uh, I uh, point out that the two of you have done a remarkable job with your website and your, your, your magazine, online magazine. And what you've done through the science of psychotherapy is you've attempted to integrate a lot of what we now know as this broad field and include the science of psychotherapy, unlike only the art. I mean, not to say that you're not interested in the art of psychotherapy, but let's face it, there's converging uh, bodies of science that we need to pay attention to. And it's not just neuroscience. It's not just epigenetics. It's not just psychoneuroaminology. It's not just psychotherapy research and personality theory. It's how you integrate it all. And so uh, the 21st century is so much different from the uh, the 20th century. I mean, yeah. really, uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, in, in fact, um, uh, I don't mean to denigrate at all uh, some of the conferences that we've all attended, uh, 
But there are many conferences that feature the this particular school or that particular school of uh, psychotherapy and the gurus associated with those schools of psychotherapy. I mean, frankly, I'm bored to death. I'm just so bored to death about these. Every week there's a new school of psychotherapy. I mean, really? I mean, come on now. And a guru, we don't want to be gurus of psychotherapy. I mean, what a ridiculous idea. Um, And so the effort that you made that's so remarkable is to put it all together. And how do you put it all together? You can't just say, oh, yes, there's this part, this part, and we're going to tack it together. Rather, as we talked about before we started filming this, the science of complexity Mm. is an effort to take a look at how there are multiple uh, variables all interacting with one another that result in, as we used to uh, uh, say in systems theory, greater than the sum of its parts. Well, we're talking about emergence. We're talking about how these multiple variables interact with one another. And that's what we're working on right now. So when we say complexity, we don't mean, oh, geez, that's complex. We don't want to be thinking about it. No, we're talking about complexity in terms of human consciousness and the mind and how we can help people change their mind. Yes, it's it's such an important thing. I mean, when I'm talking about this now, I've been talking about it also, you know, with my work with Ernest Rossi in the in previous years, that that thinking in systems is just a different way of thinking. Now, there's no question about the fact that we have linear, uh, lots of linear activity that goes on in the world, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of input in uh, and equal, equal in, equal out. But uh, those linear systems all exist as part of this flow. And, and I love this sentence in your, uh, in your forward. You actually say, the study of complex systems considers the collective the system-wide behaviours to be of fundamental importance. And as an alternative to reductionism, complexity theory attempts to explain systems in terms of their constituent parts, and as you're saying, the interactions between them. And then, of course, as you say, it's what emerges out of them uh, is the most apparent stuff. But but what are the parts? What are the elements? What are the <laughs> constituent components? That's I think that's what we really wanted to try and do in the book. Exactly. In a remarkable way. And so we used to say many years ago, uh, we're all interested in holistic uh, uh, frameworks. And that sounded really good. You know, we were interested in humanistic psychology and, and, and so on. And, and holism sounded really cool. Uh, however, we really had no way of understanding how all those variables, we could say, uh, I hate to even call them variables because there are multiple systems that are interacting as Mm. emergent other systems. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So they're not really variables or parts, like they're little pieces and we're little machines, but we are, as human beings, the result of all these complex systems within our greater emergent system. You know, we have a metabolic system. We have our genome that's not static at all. We have an immune system. We have this wow, amazing brain that has all those other subsystems within it to create this emergent phenomenon we call the mind that isn't one thing. And, yeah. and this is the big secret of it. Uh, 
So when you think in systems, when you think in linear, uh, the energy in and the energy out are very similar and they, they represent each other. But in systems, the emergent property is often unable to be recognisable for what other component parts within it or the elements within it. And equally, the elements within it can't necessarily direct you to what the emergent property is. And I always just use the simple example of a human being. When you look at a human being, you look at the whole human being, as we do in holism, but it's very, very hard to imagine a liver, uh, you know, mm. when you just look at the whole human being. And when you're looking at a liver, so this reductionism, it's equally very difficult to imagine a whole human being as a part of it. So it's a different way of thinking. You're neither just looking at the at the emergent whole, nor are you looking at the reductionist uh, component. You're looking at this... Well, it really, the hands just have to roll round and round. You're looking at the flow and interaction that comes from producers to can go down from and all those areas where you can move and play. And with the book, we, we try to give this situation where, okay, uh, and we do this quite a lot, saying uh, blah, 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 see chapter five and blah, 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 check out chapter seven, you know, blah, 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 go back to chapter two mm. and just remind yourself, this is, uh, I think, a part of the the usefulness and which, uh, well, I know that you and Matt and I have been talking about this for years, but it's only just becoming an accepted uh, a concept of a way of, of viewing holism uh, back into uh, component elements, not as reductionism. Yes, and we have to... We have to get away from the machine analogies of, of who we are because we're not. Yeah. It's we're not machines. I mean, physics have thrown out the the, the machine way of thinking of, of things a uh, hundred years ago. You know, when we started looking at the very tiny, and uh, things look much more like relationships and flow. And I keep thinking about music. You know, music is a, mm. is a great analogy. I think music exists in the flow of time. Um, if you if it's static for a moment, or you're just looking at notes on a page, that's not the music. It's a it's a representation of something to do with the music, but it's not the music. The music only exists in in the flow of time, where all of the elements are bringing about, like you said, this emergent quality. And so we also are very unmachine like, even though our left hemisphere loves to break things down and categorize things, and and you know sort of has a, a, a there's a I think a, a delusion that it sees things as uh, the biological things as machines but they're not yeah so yeah, it's very, this very word science John too you know I sorry you, you've got some stuff but I just oh, talked no, to I that as well to build on that that metaphor yeah. there. I think it's really good uh, Matt that you bring up music as as a wonderful way to describe the confluence of all mm. these factors because you know let's take a symphony orchestra you know, they're, uh, they've got a score there. They've got a conductor. However, there are all these separate uh, individuals, you could say subsystems, but they're really individuals with multiple subsystems, and they're interpreting what they're reading on the score, but also what the conductor is asking them to do. And then there's that music. So if you listen to any, uh, let's say, a symphony, uh, I, I'm particularly fascinated with how some conductors and their respective orchestras interpret, let's say, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony totally different. And yeah. I can really feel the difference. Well, 
could you can you be re- reductionistic in that way? No. So your metaphor of music, and we could say the music is the mind, because where the heck do you locate that? You don't yes. locate it's the confluence of all of it together. And it only exists in a context. And where that's another thing that we can't we tend to um, ign- ignore is the context. Um, yes. So it's it's the individual players. It's they're they're, blow, they're blowing their reed instruments, or whatever. But it's the whole. It's uh, it's the environment as well that all has an effect. Um, and so context is terribly important. And what I've been reading recently, uh, you know, in biology, is that everything affects everything in every sort of way. Oh, absolutely. Synthetic biology and systems biology is just so fascinating because it all relates to what we're talking about. And one of the frustrations that I think we all share is that uh, uh, many psychotherapists uh, in general just are a little lazy. You know, they don't want to get into all this. I already know it. You know, I'm a seasoned therapist. Oh, right. Oh, you know, and remember, I, I ran the largest mental health training program in the United States, probably one of the largest in the world. And I had all these people, the supervisors and the 150 postdocs, you know, there's now 250 now. Wow, there. Wow. And so, and they all want to be, okay, so the therapists think that, okay, I've had these 40 years of psychotherapy and I have this wisdom that I've accumulated and, and all that. And they, they're just lazy. They don't want to look at how their particular theory that's not science-based is really the fruitation of all this wisdom over a period of time. And they balk against science as we're talking about. Now, one of the reasons they balk is they think that, um, let's say, machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, is the result of reductionism. So let me use that because as uh, one of you mentioned machine learning. So one of my friends here in Santa Fe, who's also one of the the main players up at the Santa Fe Institute, wrote a book called Complexity, very involved in complexity theory. Uh, She's a specialist or her area is artificial intelligence. In fact, her recent book is called Artificial Intelligence. And she's constantly debating with a lot of other AI people. Uh, that think that AI is going to control everything and we really soon we're going to replicate the mind. And she goes, are you kidding me? No, we can't even get to common sense with AI. I mean, really. I mean, we're not even at the one-year-old level of AI. (laughs) You know, when you're talking about these self-driving cars that are AI. So so this idea of uh, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, this larger picture as being representative of science, that's a misnomer. I mean, it is a scientific endeavor, but with regard to complexity theory, what we're talking about, not to put it up on a pedestal, but it's a conceptual framework to, to make sure that a lot of different subsystems result in or understand that resulting in something complex like our ability to have this conversation. Yeah. And uh, and just one, one more thing while I'm rattling on here. <laughs> uh, 
One of the things that that you and I, the three of us have talked about and other friends of ours, Lou and other people, you know, Dan and other people, you know, we've been including neuroscience in the larger framework of uh, psychotherapy and all that. Uh, But, you know, you can't just name a bunch of brain parts and say, oh, now I'm an I'm an uh, integrationist. I mean, you know, there's so many people out there. They're just naming a bunch of brain parts. That's reductionism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. reductionism with fool's gold because yeah. do they have a really complete understanding about how all these systems work together? That's the goal. And and that that was the point too. That uh, as we came out of our discussions and working of of it is. Com- uh, comprised. There's all these different systems interplaying and interworking, making differences each time they interplay and interwork. So uh, one day you'll feel good, one day you don't feel good. Uh, and uh, various forms of, of movement through all this process is that the idea is it is impossible to know in depth all this stuff. Uh, and so it's not actually about being, and I think this is one of the other balks that people have for knowledge. I mean, we use, we really use science as just the knowledge of, you know, the knowing yeah. of, uh, and they balk at that. So we really try and highlight uh, in the things. It's about, it's a, well, it's about knowing about stuff. You need to be aware of what's there so that uh, when you start to come across it, you either do some research yourself or you know your expert who you can go to, that we truly act as integrative, integrated therapists as well. Because I know if mm-hmm. I've got a question and something I don't know, well, I'll ask you or I'll, I'll ask Matt or I'll ask Lou. And, and when I had my wonderful uh, Ernest Rossi uh, uh, still with us, I would I would go to, go to Ernie. But he was a great one for as a as a teacher for doing exactly that, taking me through the systems. You know, mm. he'd, he'd, he'd say, "You're quite good at neuroscience now, Richard. What about <laughs> genetics?" You know, yeah. and then he'd say, "Oh, you're pretty good at genetics now. How about quantum?" Uh, <clears throat> and all the time he was saying, "You spent four or five years on that. Good. What's next?" As different yeah. from what you were saying, people saying, oh, "I spent forty years on the one thing and I'm done." Uh, yeah. It's just mm-hmm. constantly exciting. Yeah, and you yeah. mentioned, um, you know, being able to, so so we know a lot about a lot of different things, so we're aware of a lot of things, but I, I'm not a geneticist, so I, I'm, I don't know how, don't have the depth of knowledge in that area, but I don't necessarily need, you know, to be a specialist in that area. I need to know about, um, mm-hmm. but I, I need a reference you know my reference library behind me. Uh, I need mm-hmm. Richard and and John, and and I need a community um, mm-hmm. to bounce things off. But the first step is to have the a broad awareness, right? So if we're if and, we're siloed, uh, and that's all we know about, when we don't even know what questions to ask. And I think that that we're getting to what really is one of the fundamentally important things that have become a really hugely important element of psychotherapy and awareness in the last five ten years is attunement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful. But we've I think it's a bit reductionist. We only need to attune to their um, <laughs> uh, sort of emotional state or we, uh, an empathetic state. Attunement goes much, much deeper. And, and we do that in the, intro, in, in the introduction. I, I, I give a case that you could attune to it beautifully and that would take you to some elements of affective science, some elements of, of attachment, some elements of trauma, uh, and that would be a... a a very well thought out 
treatment program, a very sensitive and engaged treatment program. But at the end of the chapter, I tell you what's actually wrong with them, which has actually got some biological, uh, some pathological problems as well. And if you weren't knowledgeable about that, then you wouldn't be able to attune to it. You, you would have missed it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is what happened. This guy had years of therapy and nothing did any good. And then they found out what was wrong. And I thought, ah, oh, okay, we've got to add stuff. You know, we've got to make mm-hmm. it more interesting. Mm. Yeah. You know, the psychotherapy research, and you're well aware of this, and, and you've addressed it in, in your book um, uh, beautifully, is rather humbling. Uh, because, um, you know, many uh, people like Michael Lambert, John Rocross, and, and so on, Scott Miller and other people have uh, drawn attention to not just the relationship, which they keep repeating, you know, that's the most important uh, factor, but 80% of us think we're better than average. Well, that's pretty bad statistics. I mean, you know, and of course... The, it's the older ones, you know, like, you know, me, maybe, you know, oh, God, I've been in the psychotherapy world for 40 years. So I, I must be one of that 80 percent, you know, when it, it actually I could get calcified. <laughs> you know, I could get rigor mortis of the mind, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, as a result. And so that kind of uh, arrogance, you could say, is really the 21st century. So I love this uh if you don't mind me just taking a little tangent here, this um, uh, story of uh, the Oracle of Delphi uh, and Socrates, because Socrates was my hero as an adolescent. And so the Oracle of Delphi, you know, goes something like this. Uh, uh, Socrates, you're the wisest man in Athens. Ah, get out of here. That's ridiculous. No, 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 no. You know, go check it out. You're the wisest man in Athens. He said, ah, all right, I'll go check it out. So he went all over Athens and he found this guy and that guy, you know, the sophists and this and that person. And, you know, uh, well, yeah, of course I'm a wise guy. You know, uh, uh, you know, look at all these people coming to talk to me. You know, I got the school and everything else. And, and another guy says, yeah, they pay me. What do you, they pay you? No, I don't want to get paid. Well, see, you're not wise like me. And so he went to another person, another person. These are like the schools of psychotherapy, you know? And uh, and so he said, God, is anybody in Athens really going to acknowledge their own ignorance? That's wisdom. That's the yeah. wisdom. You know, and, yeah. and so that the hubrisness of, of the psychotherapy schools with the, the you know, membership card, you know, level four, this and that. I mean, come on already. And so that's the calcification of, of knowledge. And really what we're talking about right now and our respective books and everything are the hopefully, hopefully, we're, that's why we did them, hopefully the the building blocks to the future. But you know what? In 10 years, we're probably going to look back at some of the things that we've talked about uh, and go, yeah, we were working on something here, but my God, look how much more we know. That is the reason to continue. Yes, edition edition 74. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's certainly that's that's true, isn't it? Mate? Matt and I've talked yeah. about this. I mean, really, uh, this book, what we've ended up with, which is a really meaty four hundred and fifty page book, um, is um, is just the the shavings, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the finest and brightest and and most um, uh, foundational shavings of what we think is a very 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 large gold monster. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's only so much you can fit in a book. And, and I was, we were saying yesterday, you know, we, we're trying to 
articulate to our subscribers just, you know, what content is on the science of psychotherapy. And uh, so I wrote a list and it was 7,333 words long, a 24-page just dot point list of, of material. And we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, every, the book every, is a great, do- is, is our leaping form into the science yeah. of psychotherapy academy, which is the leaping form into a uh, platform into all the other things for, for that mm-hmm. enthusiastic 21st century therapist. It's such an exciting time too to be to be in this game and to be learning about the the human condition and and humanity because there is just uh, uh, a few months ago I was talking to a Dr. Leaf L I E W F talking about oh self, very self, interesting yeah actually did oh. you put us on to him but it was he was yeah. just fabulous yeah. Cell, yeah cellular communication like like you would never be, well you probably wow. would believe because you probably know his his work but it is. Yeah just mind-blowing yeah um yeah when i did my master's degree we were just uh, they were just hinting at, at that sort of uh, information about what's just going on between cells uh, mm. through molecular you know charged particles and that why would nature just have a whole bunch of things there and do nothing with them it's we're we're so simplistic we say well we haven't we don't you know we don't know about that yeah you don't know about it yet yeah. And, and in fact, that's what uh, is kind of interesting because John Leaf, the, the author of The Secret Language of Cells, that's uh, says almost, God, he says almost ad nauseum, but it's really true. He said, we're only just beginning to understand how these uh, connections yeah. are made. He introduces a lot of complexity, but he also says we're only beginning to understand. So we could refer to your book as an invitation to the future. I like. That. I love that. Quick An neon lights somewhere, future. yeah, <laughs> hanging off the end of a plane, going over the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it, but it is. That isn't that beautiful, John. And one of the things that I said just sort of spontaneously uh, when we were chatting with with someone the other day was, uh, you know, we we mucked around a lot with the cover. Uh, there was a lot of sort of figuring out and changing and shifting, but we've ended up with something. And if you just spend a little time just sitting with it, the colours of it. Because nothing, all the all the images of uh, are there are all very subtle. It's almost like a little meditation in itself that draws you in, uh, and mm. certainly draws me and a lot of other people. And perhaps other people will find go, oh no, that doesn't do anything for me. But it mm. it actually, this is a this is a meditation on possibility, mm. uh, and that is what the future is. The future is mm. always the possibility, and uh, exactly. that's what I think is. That's beautiful, John. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I really hope we can inspire people to just to broaden their knowing about and, you know, and, and not to be intimidated um, mm-hmm. by the scope of what's out there. Like I said, you know, uh, Richard and I, we're not experts in any of these areas as a, as a mm. specialist would be, but uh, I guess our expertise is in the broad knowing about to bring all these things together. Well put, Matt. I, I think that's a very, very important point uh, because you know many of the your, your readers uh, might uh, think, "Oh, geez, I, that's a colossal book. Do I have to read that? Oh my God, it's complicated stuff in there." No, it's an invitation to be hungry to continue to grow. Now, your book is so much more down to earth than John Leaf's book, which is a great book because, wow, that's a complex book. You know, I've read it and I've uh, twice 
Uh, and uh, I mean, really, I mean, it's a complex book. Now, your book brings it more down to earth and more, um, um, let's say, practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the whole concept that we're working with here. And that's what you're inviting people to do is take practical knowledge uh, yeah. and put it to work. But that's going to be growing because you're actually inviting them to continue to grow just like we are. I mean, yeah. Uh, let's face it, you know, we are just like Socrates. We're asking questions all the time and we don't, we're not the embodiment of all this knowledge. We're, we're holding some of it to grow further uh, rather yeah. than we're, we're, we're a calcified school of psychotherapy. I mean, get away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is, I think this is the empowerment of thinking in complex systems, of understanding that mm-hmm. complex systems are there and you mm-hmm. can think in them, is that when you have this linear type of process, uh, there is a great deal of pressure on you being the expert, on you mm-hmm. knowing exactly how it's done and implementing it exactly the right way so you can get the exact uh, correct outcome. And the interesting thing is you can actually not necessarily know everything. And, of course, the point we're making is even if you do know everything, you still don't know everything because there's more to know. As long as you're implementing from a a reliable space, as long as you're putting that sort of energy into your uh, uh, therapeutic experience and you're coming from a place that is building upon reasonably reliable knowledge, then the system itself will begin to rattle and move mm. forward. Mm. And as we were saying, the, uh, the, the, the whole essence of uh, what's going on between cells, we're figuring out what that is now. Well, nature's, always, nature's known that for a long time. And mm-hmm. if we give the body the sorts of capacities to communicate between cells, the sorts of um, mental states, the sorts of uh, mind-to-body work, the sorts of diet, the sorts of uh, understanding and and assistance with regulation of of genetic processes, of neurobiological process, nature will say, oh, good, thanks, guys, I can use this. This is good. Mm -hmm. I can can take it from here. And I I was just thinking of that that when we're talking about the music with the the wonderful Beatles... uh, a piece in, in Abbey Road, I think it is, where you get the orchestra just sort of going from a very low note to a very high note. Mm-hmm. And this is what it's about with therapy. The client comes in, they're not good. The, the, where we want to go is we want them to be good and they want to be okay. They're not okay, they want to be okay. Then there may be some few hit points along the way that, that will give you tellers. But fundamentally, beyond those, you can just let the orchestra go. And given mm-hmm. those frameworks, it will find itself there in uh, in a beautiful, fascinating, and extraordinary pattern that afterwards you go, wow, I never expected and we, that. And we want them to hum the same tune between sessions because, as we well yes. know, a huge amount of neuroplasticity takes place between sessions. They go back to their yeah. lives. I mean, yeah. we think that our 50 minutes is so grand. I mean, how powerful are we? I mean, really, we're yeah. not that omnipotent. <laughs> yes, so they take, they we take want those. Them to go, yeah, go yeah. on and keep humming that same tune to make it part of their being. So yeah. This is what Ernie Rossi called the creative moment. Yeah. Uh, mm. That creative moment. And, and when the client starts to, when it hits that creative moment, interestingly, his research tells us it happens more around sort of 85 uh, 80, 90 minutes, not the 50 minutes, but they take that creative moment, mm-hmm. then just step back 
you know, they've mm-hmm. hit a hot point and, uh, and let them, let their system process and work with that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm so glad that you've spent so many collaborative uh, hours and days with Ernie. Uh, I, even though I haven't, I've you know, met him here and there and all that, but his books for me, 30 some years ago, 30, I forget what the uh, Psychobiology of Mind, Body, Healing, that for, that book, that one, yeah, in addition to all the Erickson ones early on, which I was kind of at one of those Erickson institutes and blah, blah. Yeah. But it was the psychotherapy uh, uh, of mind, body, healing. Mind, and body, healing with, with David Cheek, yeah. David Cheek. Those were really in, incredible books for me. And, uh, you know, he was so far ahead of his whole group. They, uh, you know, yeah. the Erickson groups is cool. You know, they're their group of nice people and I like them and everything. Uh, but he was such an expansive thinker. Yeah. I mean, he was really a, a, ahead of his time. Uh, in many ways. Uh, uh, and so it's wonderful that you've spent that time with him and, and uh, still are good friends with his, his wife. Oh, yes. Catherine and I are still continuing to yes. develop uh, and, and expand stuff. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm wanting to start a PhD uh, as soon as I can get through the university paperwork stuff on this, uh, what we call client responsiveness, which we've done mm-hmm. uh, a chapter in the sort of innovative area at the end of the book. Because We've got a, it's great to have a great idea and it's great to have a great idea that really feels good and it's great to have a great idea that other people think really good is good. Well, then let's go off and do a bit of science. Let's go yeah. off and do a bit of knowledge, knowledge finding and, mm-hmm. and, and verifying and validating, but not reducing, restricting and corralling. That's yeah. the most important thing that yeah. Ernie turned, told me. Mm-hmm. Well, as we sort of round this out, one point that I'd like to bring out, and that's uh, so, so from a very pragmatic point of view for the therapists that are listening, you know, what what are we aiming for here? And and one of the things that I think is an intuition that is is highly attuned, as as Richard said. So the assimilation of all of this knowledge. It's, it's not as if you're sitting in front of a client and you're, you're cognitively making an appraisal about their epigenetic processes or mm-hmm. cellular communication or something <laughs> like that. No, it's a sharpened intuition as you're with mm-hmm. the client. Um, because you have assimilated all of this knowledge, things just just will bubble to the surface. They will just come come to you as you're as you're with the client. And I've experienced this, you know, a, a lot, a lot, you know, and then and an idea will just come. And I think, well, that actually that sounds like something to do with the thyroid, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we go down that track. You know, mm-hmm. and if I didn't assimilate that knowledge about the complexities of the thyroid, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone there because our intuition isn't just some magical thing that just comes out of nowhere. You know, exactly. it's, yeah. it's fed. It's fed by yeah. the foundations of its of its broad experience, of which knowledge is one of our broad experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you yeah. Know, so I just nice, wanted nice, to highlight that. Oh, nice closure statement because that's really where where we're at. You said earlier, Matt, that uh, you know we don't want people to be intimidated uh, by this huge, colossal uh, resource. Your book. Uh, and all the knowledge within it, but we want to have them be able to carry some uh, general idea that can help them crystallize their um, perception of what really what might be going on. It might be the thyroid, it might be something else going on. And uh, it's that larger picture 
that can help them zoom in to the uniqueness of that particular individual. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a, a, an even better summary <laughs> of the of of the day. Uh, John, thank you. I mean, we just thank you for the, the you know the last hour you spent with us, but but just thanks for all the hours. You know, thanks for the beers, oh, thanks for it's the dinners. Been my pleasure. We're we're collaborators. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it's uh, it's so enriching, at least for me, to be able to collaborate with you and and take part in our journey together. And yeah. I mean, really, I don't want to leave this field. It's just too exciting. Yeah. <laughs> really, why? I mean, I'm retired. What the heck does that mean? I mean, forget that idea. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Absolutely. three or four books going on at the same time. And there's so much to learn. And every time I'm learning something, I go, God, I had no idea how little I knew. Yeah, yeah, that, that beautiful. I, I am the I am the wisest person because I know how stupid I am. I think that's it. or ignorant, ignorant. Yeah, it, it's Socrates. You yeah, know, so, yeah, he's, he's yeah. one of my heroes too. All right, Dr. John Arden, it's been such a pleasure once again to have you on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast and collaborating with us and just being a good mate. It's been so great catching up. Oh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Absolutely. Bye for now. Bye bye. Well, there you go. You start, you open a conversation with John Arden and it just flips and flaps and flies. But but it was a bit like that thing I said about the Beatles uh, uh, yeah. stuff. You know, you saw, we, we had a really interesting point. We sort of, the orchestra went off and went ahead on fantasy and fancy. But then we kept coming back and John made some some really beautiful points and, yeah. and we did some and he pointed them out uh, and Ah, that was fun. Anyway, it was really, <laughs> it's always really good. Uh, but is. we're not talking about ourselves. We're, we're talking about something that we are just championing as best we can in the nature of psychotherapy, moving in to the changes and shifts and adjustments that needs to happen in every profession. You know, we talked about Scott Miller and Wampold and um, those wonderful guys looking at, you know, what we can do to make psychotherapy better. And one thing is to continually improve, mm-hmm. continually to find better ways to, to have a stronger and more attuned relationship. And Absolutely. knowledge is definitely one of them. We've kind of gone away from knowledge being as a part of attunement but it but it's a integral part of attunement as well as empathy and engagement and also just good old as you talk about so beautifully intuition yeah that's right so if i can just encourage you once again don't be intimidated by the breadth of knowledge that's out there but be inspired to know a bit about a lot and uh, that'll that'll hone your intuition and it'll make you a better therapist Absolutely. That's uh, and and then you'll springboard off and come back to us and tell us where we're right and tell us where we're wrong and tell us where there's more stuff that we haven't thought of, and this is the whole the whole game of it. Now, uh, you know, we mentioned in the head, uh, Matt, that you know mm-hmm. things are discounted at the moment all around the place. Yeah, uh, Norton's have it now. We'll have these links on the show notes. So if you go to the the, the website. Please, you know, just click on those links and that'll take you to, to where you are in the world. And while you're there, how about you link in with us? So leave your name on the site with our, our email list. And even more wonderful, of course, is if you join the Science of Psychotherapy Academy, that's yeah. just $99 a year and you get thousands of, it's an amazing amount of stuff. And join the community. There's our podcasts that you're talking to now. We have all these on, on YouTube. Go in and see people doing things, which is always another way of doing stuff. You've got a lot of stuff, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a, 
The community thing, if I can just emphasize the community, look, this is where the real, you know, learning happens, you know, and you can ask questions and provide answers. The, the community, I'm really keen on people being involved in the community because that's where we're going to expand. Uh, we learn from each other. We, get, yeah. we co-regulate, we co-socialize, and we co-educate. Uh, <laughs> and we're keen for it. For now, uh, though, that's enough, I think. All right. Fantastic. It's been fun. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.